0: Well, thank you everybody so much for joining us. It is the 3rd of January 2010. Does it not feel like we should have jetpacks now? But uh, none as yet. The only thing we have is the whiplash jetpack of philosophy, which we attempt to hang on to with our teeth and the skin of our nails at times. So I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas slash winter solstice break. I hope that Santa was very good to you and I hope that you had a very happy new year and welcome to the new decade and uh, I await the endless emails from people who tell me the new decade doesn't start till next year but uh, welcome to the new decade this will be the decade if not the year of freedom Main radio I have um, decided to um, spend a good portion of this year uh, firing out material and what I mean by that is you know we've got these great interviews with these Psychologists and, and scientists and so on, and uh, there have got to be lots of places on the uh, Internet where such expertise would be of value. So I'm going to spend some time in January just sending out um, or posting these uh, these relevant uh, videos and, and podcasts uh, on um so yeah, I'm going to post some stuff on message boards and so on uh, because I think it's material that's very, very important for people to get a hold of and it's all sitting there receding slowly into the mists, if not the uh, the whitewater rapids of the podcast stream and I think we've just got uh, too much useful and helpful material for people for it to sit uh, in just this community. so I'm going to be focusing on that. if you are of interest uh, and you would like to help out, please feel free to give me a shout. We will. Uh, Uh, Make it somewhat fun. Um, We'll sit on a a Skype chat and make uh, silly jokes while we post important material on the web. So, if you'd like to join in with that, please give me a shout. I would like to just, as usual, put out a massive thank you and shout out to everybody who is supporting and participating in this conversation. Whether you've shared a link, whether you've donated, whether you've posted on the board, I'm not talking about anything to do with that. I'm just talking about people who are interested in philosophy and who are taking the amazing, courageous, wonderful, beautiful, terrifying, tragic, and exhilarating steps of bringing rational values into being in your own life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, It has reaffirmed my faith in humanity, which had taken many a blow. It has reaffirmed my faith in the power and potential of human thought to see just how many amazing people there are out there willing to grapple with the challenge of rational virtue. I just, can't tell you how much uh, your your presence and your support means to me and to each other. And uh thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making this show such a success. Um there's an old Sandra Bernhardt movie called Without You, I'm nothing. And uh that certainly is true as far as this show goes. Without your listening, Without your interest, without your enthusiasm, without your criticism, without your anger, without your frustration, without your excitement, this is nothing. This is nothing but bites on a server. So thank you so much for taking the time to investigate, pursue, and bring philosophy to life in your life. I know that it's horrible sometimes. I know that it's hell sometimes. I know that it's hard. And I know that there are some times when we wish we could eject the blue pill from just about every orifice we possess, but uh, I still think it's worth it. And uh, uh, it is worth it for our lives, it is worth it for our children's lives, it is worth it for the world of the future, whose success or failure, I think, rests upon the efforts of people like us. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making the show such a success and for giving me the luxury to do what I do. And it is a luxury. I try never ever to take it for granted. I literally wake up every day And jump out of bed um, enthusiastic and excited to see what people have written to me, what people have posted, the uh, praise and criticism and everything in between about the show and about me on the web. I am just super thrilled and excited to be able to do what I'm doing. And I couldn't do it without you. So um, I don't take it for granted. I think uh, every day I think what an incredible blessing it is to be able to do what I'm doing. So thank you, everybody who's made that possible, and who is helping support the driving of this conversation forward. So that's it for my New Year's thoughts, or my my thoughts every uh, every day of the week. And uh, um, uh, sorry there was no Sunday show last week. We had a uh, few people over, well, more than a few, four. Christmas and uh, I just uh, needed to uh, to take a break from socializing uh, to focus on parenting a little bit more. So uh, thank you for your patience, and uh, I'm sure that people had lots of better things to do even (laughs) over the Christmas break, like uh, you know hand carving their way through electronics shopping purchases on Boxing Day. So uh, sorry about that. And um, there's not likely to be a show next week, but I will certainly post if there is. But at the moment, just believe that there isn't. But after that, we'll be back on our regular schedule. So that's it for me. I uh, await with eager and bated breath your questions, comments, issues, problems. Feel free to type them into the chat window, if you like. Or if you can uh, give a pingle to James P. uh, in the message board and you don't have Skype, you can call 315-876-9705 and you will be patched through to the FDR mirror station floating slightly. Above sea level. Quick clarification question about something in a recent podcast.
1: Yes, uh, it's, it's in reference to the roundtable that you did with Wes Bertrand, um, Brett Venat, and uh, Lauren Canario, Yeah. Um, the um, the civil disobedience one, and I was just having troubles. Um, According something that you said in that podcast, I guess similar to a week ago when I came to you about something that I needed clarification on reconciling two different things. So I just kind of wanted to reconcile um, something that you said in this podcast so that I could better understand the arguments. Because right. I, I was I was in agreement with you and, and sort of your side of the debate, um, and I still and I remain that way. But I just wanted to, to reconcile um, an example or a point that you made, if you don't mind. Uh Please. So, like a, I think it was about two thirds in, and I took some notes uh, about two thirds in they were talking about i think it was Wes said something that when you uh, when you act in civil disobedience, it brings the guns of the state out, and then people can see them if you remember that point sure um, so it it removes the velvet glove from the state uh, and it it makes it stop being so friendly and nice uh, and you said something along the lines of. Um, If there are examples before philosophical knowledge for people, then they're not going to see the principle. They're just going to see the example. But when you have philosophical knowledge before the examples, then you don't need the examples. Yes. Um, and I'm having trouble squaring that, and I'm sure there's just a simple clarification with what's <laughs> said. Maybe. Let's not assume. <laughs> it could be. But I'm having trouble squaring that with what you've said, especially with regards to the how to achieve freedom stuff, mm-hmm. with, that, that we get the perceptual before the conceptual. So I, I'm having trouble sorting those two um, distinctions. Uh, so could you maybe, uh, I guess, clarify a little bit of how, I can, how those two can coexist
0: no that's an excellent excellent point. Uh, I'll tell you what I mean and then you can tell me whether I'm making sense or just slithering away from <laughs> an open contradiction. Sure. When I talked about getting the perceptual before the conceptual, uh, I'm talking about brain development among infants. I'm not talking about adults. So for instance, you know that there's something called cancer, right? You understand that as a concept, but you don't you've never had cancer, right? Oh, right, right. Right. So so when we we get the perceptual before we get the conceptual, because to have to me to have concepts not rooted on our on our perceptions or at least the principles derived from our perceptions, um, then we th- those 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 concepts would make no sense. It would be like trying to build a castle on a cloud. It would make no sense. And so we do get the perceptual before we get the conceptual. And the reason why I think that's important is that we need to ground our concept formation on what we perceive through the senses, right? Which is why the three laws of logic correspond to Uh, the laws of physics right and why we can have concepts because atoms have commonalities and therefore things in the world have commonalities so we i think philosophically we need to ground concept formation on sense perception because otherwise we can have valid concepts that completely contradict or are irrelevant to sense perception such as gods existing in another universe or some sort of social contract or all these concepts that contradict sense perception so i think we need to say look the way that we have to validly develop concepts uh, to, to be philosophical is we need to base them upon sense perception um, and the rules derived from sense perception. Like a, an iPod can't be in two places at once and therefore we uh, the law of, of non-contradiction and object constancy and so on. And so we can then reject as invalid uh, concepts that are either not evident to the senses or concepts which contradict the evidence of the senses and the physical laws of logic and physics that that we can derive from that. Now, by the time you were debating the nature of the state with um, with someone, that someone is no longer a child, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to debate the nature of the state with a six-year-old. And so okay, by the, by the time that somebody becomes an adult, my argument would be, look, most people have spent their lives in public schools. And so if they don't understand that the state is authoritarian, having spent 13 or 14 years being ordered around by some person at the front of a class and having no say in the nature or content of their education and no say in the quality of their teachers and no say in the quality of the school as a whole – and no say in um, uh, teacher feedback. If somebody who's been through public school does not understand that the state is authoritarian, if somebody who's an adult and hasn't paid taxes does not understand that the paying of taxes is not voluntary, then showing them that, I think, would be kind of like an insult to their ability to think. It would be like trying to pretend that action can substitute for an obvious argument, if that makes any sense.
1: Right, right. And so showing them that example would of... The guns coming out when you don't pay your taxes is – yeah, I guess it would be insulting to them like you were just saying.
0: Well, it, you know what it would be? It would be like if, if, if I were having an argument with you and I said the state is based on coercion and I put forward the examples like what happens if you don't pay your taxes, what happens to people who disobey the state regardless of the justice of the state's complaints against them. Uh, somebody who's like 20 or whatever, right? And they obviously have have to know – that taxation is not voluntary. I mean, they have to. They have to understand, because they, you know, by the time you're paying taxes, um, you understand the difference between a voluntary transaction and an involuntary transaction. Even if we were to discard everything to do with public school, you would understand that difference. Now, the question is, if people, like, because we all face, we, we all pow, 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 straight into this brick wall of people explaining away, in quotes, Uh, explaining away the state with social contracts, with participative democracy, if you don't like it, leave it, and all that kind of embarrassing clusterfract nonsense. And so I think that the people who are into civil disobedience say, yeah, we run up against this problem that people reject the argument that taxation equals force or statism equals force. And so we all have that question, well, why is it that people reject that basic argument? And I go into this in how not to achieve freedom and even more in the upcoming (laughs) how to achieve freedom, which I promise I will get done. Uh, shortly. But um, the question is, why do people reject this basic, obvious, and self-evident argument? Why? Now, my argument, of course, is that they've been trained from day one, and they they don't want to see the unjust exercise of authority in society because they don't want to see the unjust exercise of authority in their own personal lives, right? Either by teachers or family or or priests or whatever, if, if that stuff exists. That's my answer, that it has to be a psychological defense. It has to be a psychological defense because the only other alternative is that people can't see that which is obvious and clear. and In which case, we're hopeless. We're never going to win. Okay. If people are too stupid to understand or too uh, retarded to understand that statism equals force, even though it is a completely self-evident argument to anybody who's over the age of about 12 – then people are too stupid and, and we just have to retreat into the caves of philosophy and let the idiot whore destroy itself, as it inevitably does, in the absence of reason. Uh, other people say, well, they, just, they, they won't get it until they see it. And once they see it, then they'll get it. And what that means is basically, if we up the pressure on people to believe something that they don't want to believe, then they'll start believing it. Like, if I start yelling my argument, then somebody's going to believe it. You say, oh, the government is forced. No, it's not. Okay, I'm going to get myself arrested. That somebody's then going to see it. And I just don't believe that that's true. I do not believe at all that when you apply greater pressure to a psychological defense, that defense gets. What happens is when you apply greater pressure to a psychological defense, that psychological defense gets stronger. Right. Every time you shoot at this armor, the armor gets thicker. That's my argument. Um, Of course, the people who are into, I'm going to get myself arrested, and then you'll understand, I, I think that they're completely wrong because I don't think they understand why people are resistant to such an obvious idea. It's not because they can't see it. It's because it's going to have great personal cost for them to see that idea because we deal in universalities, which means nothing is about the state. Right? FDR fundamentally has never been about the government. It has never been about the government, because that is like saying that the principle of honesty is about your salary, talking about your salary honestly. No, the principle of honesty is a frickin' principle. And what we deal here with here is the principle of of truth and honor and virtue and and all that. And what that means is that uh, unjust authority, abusive or brutal authority, should not be in a virtuous person's life, in my very strong opinion. Does that include the state? Sure, absolutely. Just as uh, medicine includes cancer, but medicine is not just cancer at the expense of everything else. Medicine is everything, and so because we're dealing with principles here, we're not going to focus on just the state. And everyone gets that it is a principle. If we say you should not have unjust, you should resist unjust authority, well, the place that is <laughs> the place that that people can have the greatest traction in rejecting unjust or abusive authority can have the greatest traction, the most effect is in their own personal lives. And everybody understands that. And that's why people are resistant to seeing that the state is coercion. Because they experience coercive or destructive relationships, most people, many people, in their lives as it is. And they want to reject it because they get that it's a principle. If they accept it in the state, they're going to have to accept it in their lives as a whole. Just in the same way you can't say, I'm only going to practice the universal virtue of honesty to one person. Right? That We understand that's a complete contradiction. You can't practice a universal value with only one person, and you can't reject unjust authority only with the state, at least not without a huge amount of mental contortions. And so in many ways, I would say those who resist the idea of um, the state as force are actually acting with greater integrity than others because they get that it's a principle and that if you pull one thread on that sweater the whole thing falls apart and so they reject it because they understand the consequences of that universality so that's my argument I could be wrong I mean I could be wrong I don't but but the difference is that because I'm an empiricist because I'm an empiricist I'm always going towards empiricism so I got a note from one of the guys at free talk live he wants to talk more about civil disobedience I'm happy to do it my first question is going to be What's the evidence that it works? Now, I know that from my own life, getting rid of unjust authority in my personal relationships, unjust or abusive authorities in my personal relationships, has completely worked. (laughs) The amount of injustice that I experience, the amount of uh, abuse or rejection or or hostility that I experience has plummeted to very little in my personal relationships. In fact, it's a practical level of zero. I mean, that doesn't. Of course, I have fewer relationships than I did before, but I can guarantee you and, and give you a completely confident empirical report that the application of philosophy in my life has uh, resulted in a vast decrease of the amount of unjust or abusive authority in my life. Um, I don't believe that that's the case with civil disobedience, and so um, I'm, again, I'm happy to to hear arguments to the contrary, but that's. Uh, sorry for the long answer, as usual, but that's that's the basic approach.
1: No, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, and that helps reconcile those two things. So thank you. That that does answer my question
0: completely. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. That was an excellent, excellent uh, thing to bring up, and uh, I appreciate it.
1: Sure thing. Thanks for answering.
0: All right. I'm just going to look in the chat room and see. Um, somebody's asked about a book mentioned in an earlier podcasts called Public Lives. It is not published. I have no idea if and when I'm going to get to it. So sorry, that is uh, <laughs> that is on the to-do list. Oh, the to-do list! <laughs> it hangs over me like the sword of Damocles. But uh, uh, at some point it will be finished, and then I think I will be uh, dead and in a ground. <laughs> in the ground, and there will be people throwing uh, dirt in my face, and uh, many people, uh, hopefully sad, and a few people. Perhaps cheering, but anyway. So if you would like to jump in, you can type your question uh, into the chat room. You can tell James P. you're going to call 315-876-9705 to be added. Um, uh, sorry, uh, somebody has just asked, when will you know if you can make it to Malaga? Malaga, Malaga, Malaga. Uh, and uh, as of now, it looks like that the, we are going. Uh, we are going, um, and I can't imagine... Uh, unless there's just some monster speaking engagement that uh, uh, I'm going to have to accept, which I, I doubt uh, since uh, I don't have any now. and uh, So it looks like we will be uh, in Spain. And I'd just like to thank uh, the gentleman who is organizing that for getting that going. I think that it's going to be just, uh, it's just going to be fantastic to meet everyone. I mean, the, we had, uh, I guess, almost two dozen people up here at Christmas. And I hope that you can, you know, if you're listening to this, I hope you can make it to the barbecue uh, in the in the summer. Uh, All you have to do is get yourself up here. Um, uh, I will pay for everything that you eat and drink here, so you won't have any cost there. And um, it is just my way of saying thanks again. Uh, Just just get your carcass up here, and we will fire the cannon of good summer food at you. And uh, uh, we have uh, good hikes and uh, karaoke and all that kind of good stuff. So I hope that uh, you can make it up to the barbecue. We don't have a time for it as yet, but I can guarantee you it will not be when we're in Spain. (laughs) I can tell you that much for sure.
2: Hello, Steph. Hello. Um, I have uh something to share, uh, regarding exercise. I'm all ears. Okay.
0: Muscular Uh,
2: ears.
0: Sorry. What's that? Muscular ears. But go on.
2: When I exercise or I try to, I get really upset. Um. And I want to quit. Like, it's an emotional kind of thing. Um, let's see. I, I, I want I wanted to try getting back into exercise because I heard that podcast, and part of it is where you say how exercise is good for your brain, and um, it increases your IQ and, and your general emotions and everything. So... But but I have a problem because there's a lot of stuff that comes up when I try to exercise. And I and I stopped about um I think uh November or something of last year. Or I sl- I slowly dropped off today.
0: You mean it's uh, been a whole decade since you exercised oh, sorry, never mind, go on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh I slowly just dropped off, you know, um, of doing any kind of exercise, and like, I guess uh, over the last several months, I haven't really done any kind—not even a walk. Right. Um, and I want to figure that out because it—it it would be great for my health if I could just get back into that.
0: Right. Right. A uh, usual caveat: uh, My uh, knowledge about exercise is similar to my knowledge about self-knowledge, which is I've been working on it for a quarter century, but I have no training, so I just wanted to mention that to people who are joining us for the first time. But we can certainly talk about it. So, um, what kind of exercise are you trying to um, are you trying to do, or were you trying to do?
2: Uh, let's see. I've done um, I've done walking. I've done running, uh, yoga, um, push-ups stretching. Um, I've also done martial arts. Um, and I mean, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be most of what I've done.
0: And, uh, which one of those do you like the most or do you like them all?
2: Um, I like martial arts the most.
0: Yeah. I was, gonna, I was hoping you were going to say push-ups cause just nobody likes those. Um, yeah. So you like the martial arts, uh, and was that what you were doing last year, or were you doing something else?
2: Yeah, that's what I was doing last year and the year before.
0: Right. And um, what kind of martial arts were you doing? Taekwondo. Taekwondo, okay. Um, oh, you're just dragging me out under thin ice here. I just know it, because I'm going to get 12 million emails for what I'm about to say.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Um, look, I, this is again, this is all just my opinion, but I don't think that people with a history of physical abuse should get involved in martial arts. Yeah. Does that yeah, make any you know, sense to you?
2: It, it does. And in fact, there were, there were people in the dojo or, or dojong or whatever that liked violence. I mean, you could just tell they liked throwing me and stuff. And, and yeah. I mean, it, it, it wasn't helpful to my situation.
0: No, I, I I think it's not. And and when I say that people who have a history of physical abuse should not get involved in martial arts, I've yet to meet anybody who's in, into martial arts who has not had a history of physical abuse. I think that martial arts is fundamentally a ritualized Simon the boxer for physical abuse. Uh, that is my. And I know people are going to email me, and I'm going <laughs> to. They're going to tell me about the the nobility and the history and the the stretching and the limber and the blah blah blah. But fundamentally, it is a ritualized form of combat, right? And uh, I just think that people who've had a history of physical abuse should not get involved in ritualized combat any more than they should become uh, boxers or soldiers or, um, uh, you know, people who are really into martial arts. I just think that um, it's it's an unhealthy, a very unhealthy way uh, to to not deal with the physical abuse. Uh, I think that if you've had experiences of physical abuse, uh, you need to deal with it with a therapist. And you need to exercise, in my opinion. But getting involved in ritual combat with people of questionable stability um, and a, a fairly significant degree of physical injury over time, I just think that is a very, very bad idea. Yeah. For people mm-hmm, – uh, sorry, and I've just finished. In, in, in a very similar way though, I'm not going to say it's identical, in a very similar way. Uh, some people who were sexually abused uh, get involved in, in sadism and masochism and so on. And that is a way of, of recreating it in a perceptual way to avoid dealing with it in an emotional way. And I think that the similar thing occurs in the realm of uh, of martial arts. But sorry, go ahead.
2: Okay. And in fact, I can give you some experiences that kind of coincide with that. Because, I mean, around the time that I was doing martial arts is when my uh, mom started um getting into fights with me or 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 beating me again and i mean i was like 16 and 17 uh, yeah and that was around that time and right. when i got into fdr i got less interested in in martial arts or something like i just wasn't motivated anymore like it just it just stopped right so um i think that would be some evidence
0: Yeah. And and if you want to see this, right, what what you can do is you can go to some tough guy who's really into martial arts and you can ask him about his history or whatever. and, And, you know, maybe he'll tell you the truth and maybe he won't. But what you can do if he starts talking about the exercise and the limberness and so on, why don't you say to this, you know, that the guy who's really into martial arts, just say, you know, you could get all of that and more from ballroom dancing and of course most people would look at you like you just grew a unicorn and a pretty gay one out of your forehead right because they like i'm not going to get into so so you understand for them it's not about the stretching and the exercise which you could get in spades from ballroom dancing it is about a much more uh, macho kind of task kind of intimidating thing uh, and um, uh, so i i don't know i just i'm i'm not a fan of martial arts uh, at all um, i uh, and I, I have some you know a, 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 one of my best friends for many years was, I think, way too into martial arts and not into self-knowledge. And it unfortunately had negative consequences for our relationship. So, again, I'm coming from a slightly biased perspective, but you could also say that I have some empirical evidence. But um, I just uh, I just don't think it's, it's the right thing to do.
2: Sure. Okay. Um,
0: so, now, there are other kinds of... Uh, um, competition sports. And it's funny, you know, when I was younger, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make this about me, but, but I just, I think this might be important. Um, when I was younger, I was much more into competitive sports, right? So I played tennis, I played squash, I was on the water polo team, I was on the swim team, I was on the track team. I I was really into competitive sports and I did I did fairly well. Uh, I think I was the eighth best swimmer in Ontario, if I remember rightly. But so I, I did fairly well uh, in, in those sports and um, I was a good sprinter and all that. But I must tell you that, that since I've gotten older, I actually am much less into competitive sports than I used to be. And it's not because I don't like competition, I actually quite like competition. But you know what it is for me, and maybe you find a similar thing if you get involved in competitive sports, for me it's just a fun game. It's a fun game, you know, it's like uh, uh, it's just a fun test of, of where you are in your skill set, but you know, when I used to play squash uh, in uh, – and I still play squash mostly with my wife when we can. But when I used to play squash in like a tree, like in a round robin or whatever, I just – I ran into too many of those those guys who get really tense about competitive sports. You know, like they'd miss a fairly easy shot and they'd be like, damn it! You know, and they'd hit their, um, they'd hit their racket against the wall and stuff like that. And I, you know, I just, I don't want, I I just don't want to have that in my life. I do not want to have that in my life. I don't really do uh, competitive sports anymore, but that doesn't mean I never will. Um, But uh, I don't really do competitive sports anymore. Um, I just, for me, uh, I'm too aware of the stress and dysfunction of a lot of people who are into competitive sports, um, which is, again, not to say everyone, I don't hold the same standard for that as I do for martial arts, but... Um, I would suggest, uh, I would suggest that uh, you will probably psychologically benefit most from uh, stuff which is intensive from a cardio standpoint. I mean, I loved yoga, uh, particularly Ashtanga yoga, uh, but uh yoga just kind of put me to sleep. And, <laughs> but uh, I really liked Ashtanga yoga. It wasn't a particular cardio workout that was very good for muscular strength and for flexibility, but... Um, uh, I, I think that if you can find something that you enjoy doing that has some good cardio and strength training, of course, for women, strength training, weight training, you know it's the old cliche at my gym, right? All the guys are huffing weights, and all the women are are uh, on the stairmaster. Uh, and in many ways, that should kind of be reversed, right? <laughs> women should do weights because it's better for, uh, their bones to pre- prevent osteoporosis, which is a particular risk for women, I think. And guys should be doing more cardio stuff because, uh, uh, you know, heart disease and so on is more prevalent, I think, among uh, older men. So um, I would just go a little bit against the grain, uh, do some weights and uh, find, you know, a good audiobook or a podcast or something to listen to and uh, focus on that. Yes.
2: This is the kind of exercise that I get emotional about, like, When I was doing martial arts, I felt, like, ecstatic or something. It was really weird. Um, Whenever I was doing competitive sports of any kind, throughout my whole life, I felt very happy. Um, But, but, see, I think it would be important to say that, like, my mom and my dad went to the gym a lot, and my dad has a hobby as a bodybuilder, and I would go to the gym with him. And uh, I hate going to the gym. Right. I went to the gym for years and I I lifted weights and I went on the treadmill and the stairmaster for a long time and uh I I just can't I don't get any enjoyment out of it. Right. And I I hate it and
0: you have very bad associations with that, right? Yeah. It's like a call I had with a guy once, uh, his father used to make him run until he would you know, almost throw up, you know, that the physical exercise can be a kind of, of punishment, right? Um.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like a mental punishment because it's like, I'm, I'm not the right weight and I need to get the right weight and
0: right.
2: that was part of it. Right, that.
0: right. And body vanity is, uh, I mean, it certainly was a, it was a big issue in my family. Body vanity was a very big issue in my family. And it's certainly something that has, has affected me quite a lot throughout my life. So maybe there are, there are some aspects of that. But so is, is it just at the gym that the negative emotions come up for you?
2: Um, say that again?
0: Is it just at the gym, if you go to the gym, that the negative emotions come up? Or is it with any form of exercise?
2: Um. I guess any form of exercise in which I'm like concentrating, I guess. Right. Like if it goes on for a long time um or I, or I need to concentrate on it because I mean with martial arts or, or some other uh, fast-paced sport, uh it's more like a game. Yeah. And and then I can like distract myself.
0: Right. So, is it when you end up concentrating on the exercise, in a sense, because it's boring or lengthy?
2: Um, I, I, that must be part of it.
0: And what are the feelings that come up?
2: It's like, uh, anguished, um, bored, yeah, definitely bored, um, anguished, uh, in um in impatient i guess um i i think those are all of them not sure
0: right and what 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 is the anguish associated with do you think
2: um i mean emotionally i can't tell uh it might have something to do with, you know, how my parents took me to the gym and stuff, but I can't see it. I, I, I don't see it.
0: Right, right. Mm, that's interesting. Now, it could be, and this is its just a nonsense theory on my part, of course, but I have this... Belief that I've sort of developed based upon my experience and the experience of some people I've talked to, that if we experienced um, particular physical states with regards uh, with, with regards to trauma as children, then when we experience those physical traits or states again, then we experience the the trauma again, um, if if that makes any sense. So I mean a silly a silly but, but dark example would be um you know somebody who's terrorized at night uh, as a child will develop a fear of the dark because the the physiology of of there being no light is associated with the trauma and so it could be that if you had negative experiences at the gym then when you exercise it reactivates that that body memory if that makes any sense
2: oh yeah that that might be it.
0: Like you, 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 we, we store, like, you know, you know the way that when you have a song that you love, you have all of these associations of when you were singing it or, and you can actually re-experience the emotions if you listen to a song. I was just, I used to listen to The Wall when I was a teenager, like every night, side three. And I just, that song, one of the songs, Hey You, came on the radio the other day. And I instantly remembered that, you know, very physical aspect uh, of, of my, my youth and, and what it was like and all that. So I had, even with just the song it, it was strongly associated, the physical state of listening to that particular song was really associated with remembering certain aspects of my youth. And uh, I have that with lots of music and and certain movies, right? I, I remember seeing certain movies. I remember what my life was like and what I was feeling when I first saw those movies. It could be other things as well, books uh, as well. Every time I read uh, Crime and Punishment or Lord of the Rings or whatever, I remember the other layers or other times that I read it. Uh, like I first read Lord of the Rings when I was in Africa when I was 16, and then I read it again when I was in university. I read it again about a decade ago. And I, I just, I remember even when I'd come to certain pages, and I would remember where I was and what I was doing and what I was feeling when I was reading that same page 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago or whatever. And that I think is important that if you end up in this, having a similar physiological situation as when you were going through a situation of stress or abuse, it's been my experience that it can reactivate the feelings that were there before, if that makes any sense.
2: Right, right. Um, I'm going to type something into Skype. Um, hey, uh, no. Okay, thank you, Steph. That gave me something to think about.
0: Right, so, I mean, what I would do is then try and do the opposite, of uh, of what the gym thing was, if that makes any sense. So um, yeah, just tr- whatever it was that you did that was traumatic with you with your dad. Just try and do an exercise that is in a very different environment, and maybe something at home with a tape or something like that. So I just wanted to uh, to mention that. Now somebody had mentioned in the chat room, which is an excellent um, uh, opposition to what I was saying about my perspectives or experiences of people in martial arts. He said, I know a guy who runs a Kung Fu dojo, and he's one of the most laid-back and nice people in the world and quite a pacifist, so it depends on the person. And, of course, that's entirely true. And uh, I certainly don't want to be one of these guys who's like, aha, the exception that proves the the rule. But but what I will say is that um, the question I would ask that fellow uh, is, um, why do you want to spend your time around people who are really interested in combat, in ritualized combat, a lot of whom are pretty disturbed? right? So maybe he grew up, Yeah, who knows, right? But maybe he grew up, um, as the guy who managed the aggression of other people or, or, controlled the aggression of other people, like one of those kids who's a real natural peacemaker, and maybe that's his job, that, uh, he, uh, he then made that his profession because he developed all of those skills. So I just sort of wanted to mention, it could be, right? I don't know. I am mean, not, it doesn't disprove or prove anything, but that's the question that I would ask in order to defend a theory, which, uh, <laughs> which may be defensible or may not be, but, um. Uh, that's my thought.
2: Um, i I got to go. Um,
0: All right. Th- well, listen, th- thanks. Uh, and uh, do, let us know how it goes. But uh, try not to, um, uh, to give up on the exercise thing, but just try and uh, find ways of doing it that are going to not trigger the same emotions. That would be my suggestion. I mean, I I find exercise terrifically boring, frankly. I mean, it it is just one of these maintenance things. It's about as interesting as watching somebody change the oil on your car. So um, uh, I just have to find ways to make it enjoyable. And the way that I do it is I just, it's so ridiculous. You're supposed to mix up your exercises, and I haven't really mixed them up in about 20 years. Um... And that's just because to learn a new exercise, I have to then concentrate and then I'm, I'm almost immediately completely bored. So I just have this automatic routine that I go through uh, and it seems to serve me pretty well. But uh, it's just so that I can listen to an audiobook or do a podcast or something else. So uh, that's uh, that's my, my suggestion. If you find it boring, just get, a, get into a routine where you can kind of do it mindlessly and uh, then you can focus or concentrate on something else. All right, somebody's typed a a question into the chat room. It says, okay, here's my question. I've heard a lot of libertarian women say, most of my friends are men. I can't stand women. They're so superficial. And I don't care about makeup or talking about fashion. My question is, what is the real reason they are saying these things? Women outnumber men at law school and medical school and many other graduate school. These women care for their appearance and their intellect. And even if they may not be liberty-minded, it doesn't mean they're idiots. I'd like to know why so many libertarian women denigrate other women psychologically i see it as a sign of insecurity economically it could be a move to create a situation of greater monopsony i don't know what that means (laughs) power in a group of mostly men by spreading information that there are no other desirable women available to compete in at least one situation where a libertarian woman was telling me this i interpreted it as a direct threat or warning of some kind so i limited my social contact with her Libertarian women like to brag about how they're more secure with their intellect and persons than usual, but why this petty denigration of their own gender? Monopsony. One buyer. Many sellers. Oh, the opposite of monopoly. Okay. I thought that would be Yalapanom. But anyway, uh, monopsony. Monopsony. Sorry, that's an N. Thank you. That's my uh, new word of the day. Well, um, if if you'd like to chat, I, I wouldn't want to guess about someone else's experience of libertarian women i have not had that experience of libertarian women but then I don't really know libertarian women so I'm afraid I'm going to have to not comment on that because I would be theorizing about uh, uh, something that I haven't had any direct experience of um, so i would not i would not want to hazard a guess And we have time for, oh my goodness, a whole sackload of more questions if you would like to jump in.
3: Hey, Steph. Uh, can you hear me? I sure can. Um, since it's open topic, I thought that I would uh, make a couple comments to you and uh, see what you uh, see if there's a conversation we can have, maybe.
0: Sure, please do. Uh,
3: just, uh, it's been pretty uh, a big time, I guess, in my life. Uh, I think, not I think, I know that... Uh, your stuff has had a lot of impact on me, and uh, first uh, politically, and then uh, on my religious beliefs. And uh, first, I'd like to say I'm very thankful for that and your life's work.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I come from a Mormon background.
0: Oh, in, man. Uh, so sorry.
3: Born and raised. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm very fresh. Like in August I uh, was convinced of and for the logic and reasoning and anarchism and but I still was too afraid to, you know, use that same um, methodology for relig you know, religion. But uh in November I finally really you know, I got tired of all the like disagreements and the the moral contradictions like uh things like uh prop eight and authority and you know it can't be right to tell your kids and not give your kids a choice to make these decisions for themselves it's just in in my opinion that's just always wrong to not let your kids grow up and make their own decisions on stuff that's opinion and uh and so when I finally did it was really interesting uh um, <laughs> it was uh, uh it was early December when I finally said I was I first made the decision to park it you know and just and hold it in and live with it for a little bit. But then I was like, I got to really be honest, you know, with myself about this and just uh, not feel like I'm holding something back, you know? And so I came out and I, I talked to my mom and in and, um, one of my uh, most influential spiritual like advisor type guys, you know, who basically growing up, I said, Oh, I want to be just like him, you, you know? And you know, my mom at first she, she she I can tell she held a held a lot back, but what really started the uh the, the pain in it was when I talked to the spiritual advisor, uh, guy, his name was Mike. And I mean, every conversation I ever had with this guy has been positive and we talked about things we both agreed on we're sure about and our special place in the world and our purpose and our representing good and truth and all that. And I, I i can tell my mom talked to him before i talked to him and when i talked to him i could kind of see already a little um you know he was like a little let down and then i i, I made an opening statement where i was just i just basically i was just, i was I, I was myself i was just trying to be as respectful as possible and stating my views i really thought he would be interested in you know what where i'm at in my life and have a discussion about it if he really cares about me. I'm open to have a discussion about it, and so I open up by saying, you know, in the church we really believe we have access to the spirit that bears truth of the most important things, and I I, I I've just been asking myself a lot of questions lately, and it doesn't seem like this spirit reflects on things in reality, but only is really confident about things, you know, in spiritual senses. Hmm. And so that, so I, once I really started to be honest with myself about that, I'm like, yeah, there's something here I have to. And then when I was convinced about it and I wanted to ask him, because clearly his his objective there, he was prepared to try to end my doubt and keep me in the faith. I knew that. I, nice. I just that I know the psych, I know the psychology there. That's it's like a battle, you know. His his goal was to put my doubts to rest and keep me going forward with faith. But once I basically said and and you know and I, I basically put it like, yeah, we have this Holy Ghost, but when it comes to all these things that surround us that are going on wrong. No, you know, it doesn't seem like that's important enough to make a, a moral position, yet you have this access. It's you, you claim to have this access. And then after I went on for 30 more seconds, he's like, All right, that's enough. That's enough. I can't take any more of this. That's bullshit. And then he's like, Where's 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 the where's your scriptures? Where's your scriptures? And then I got him some scriptures. Cause I went into it just I really you know just was I'm not gonna lose my uh, um, cool you know I've I've had enough experiences with endless irrational religious debates where you do that and it's just stupid and so I was just gonna you know keep my uh you know and hear what he has to say and he opens up the scriptures and he you know he goes to a part in the Book of Mormon where they talk about and they will try to flatter the 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 children. Uh, Or the children of God with flattering words and sophistries, which is like men's philosophy, and they'll be lured away by Satan and, and all of this stuff. And he's like, now you listen to me. You are entering down a dark alley. Many, many men have bore witness of the truth of these things to you and you have not acted on these things and look where your life is now cuz i've been struggling you know in my life because it's just been such i don't have any like it's been like i've been being pulled in five different directions with no foundation it's been pretty depressing and he kind of kind of used that against me and i can't really defend myself and say yeah i'm doing great in my life and he's like and then and then he really just reiterated fear that you have felt the truth of these things. The spirit has bore witness to you. So you're denying that spirit. And I I went into it very, pretty confident in my position. But when I, I I'm i not like one of those that stopped believing when I was 10. I had, a, I mean, I was sure about these things up until two weeks before that discussion. And so. I'm it's sorry. Like, when did know, the discussion happen? It, it happened a month ago. But. If you would ask me a month before that discussion, if I would even think about myself as a non-Mormon, I would say no. I, I, I'm, I, I would bet any amount of money. It was almost like until – I think it was really a – until I was really f- fully able to look at it as, as rationally as I could, then it was a quick, quick switch. But until then, when you're so sure about an eternal perspective on these things, it's, it's almost impossible to penetrate that.
0: Sure. Sure.
3: Nothing can be as important as eternity and ultimate purpose in living forever in this thing. Nothing as little as human beings can Gosh. can uh, could ever persuade past that, and so it was like an instant thing. It was like a, it was just a more of a comfortable with that feeling, a different just a perspective change. Right. But. It was like it was like all these all these pressure points being pushed that I was really weakened because twenty five years of, yeah. well, I would say probably about fifteen years of actually really understanding it and believing it, you know, ten years old you probably understand things a little bit better at least what they're telling you, right? And there's like just pushing them and pushing them and man, I was I was rocked. <laughs> right. I did not expect it at all, but, and then afterwards I'm like, ooh. That's, that's, ugh. good thing later that night I went to a Metallica concert. That was therapeutic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, oh,
3: that was, that was the best night of my life. Because you know, that, that'll ridiculous.
0: blow some cobwebs out of your brain, right? <laughs> that wall of noise, right? Right.
3: Oh, yeah, just, <laughs> but, and then, and then like the next day I talk with, you know, then my mom about it and, oh, you know, it's like she's, crying and she's like i know that you'll be back you know and i know the real you you believe this at one time and i know you will will be living with me in eternity and even though you're straying now you'll still be with me and see that's the kind of uh see this is this is why i think it was hard for me is because mormonism is set up it's not I, i guess if you're if you accept the the assumption of God, it seems way less crazy than, like, Baptists where they're saying, yeah, you don't believe in this life, you're going to hell, you know? Right. So if you accept the assumption that, yes, Jesus Christ died for us, clearly – I mean, like, if you accept that in that mindset, clearly, you know, I guess to uh, to me at the time, it was clear to me that he's not just going to send people to hell. You know, he would, he would want families to be together forever. You know, he would want – to give people chances and so it's, it's it's it was less that was why it was less hard for me right because it's kind of like uh it's kind of like uh, uh an updated version where they throw away a lot of the real scary stuff and added a bunch more
0: cool stuff yeah and of course your mom <laughs> can't logically your mom can't be in heaven if you're not there because she would miss you so it wouldn't be heaven for her it would be kind of a hell right so unless everybody's there nobody goes to heaven right
3: yeah, it's like she, she'll never accept that. I mean, yeah, it it just wouldn't make sense for her just to say, yes, my son's going to hell, but I'm still going to love him. And that just doesn't And make I'm sense still going to be happy starts...
0: in heaven, right? She couldn't be happy in heaven if yeah. you're not there. So <laughs> no. there's no way that – yeah, I understand. There's no such thing as heaven unless everyone you care about is perfectly virtuous and goes there, which, of course, is not logically possible. But anyway, let me not distract you. Uh, is there more that you wanted to say about your experience? I'm, I'm certainly happy to hear.
3: Hmm. Yeah, well about my that that was basically the big gists of my religious conversion since it was I mean my deconversion. Right. <laughs> that was but that was a month ago. So it's like it's so fresh, you know what I mean? And so I'm really I'm 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 making plans to move in with a friend in uh in uh a, across the country and really just start something else. Right. But uh I guess I, I got done listening to one. I remember when you, you talked with a, a couple atheists who had a – and the and the, the lady had a brother who was Mormon, and she was wondering how to confront all that. And right. I think that's uh, – do you remember that?
0: I sure do. I sure do.
3: Yeah, and uh, I guess that's going to be my next thing. I think my – I think the, the hurdle I've been passing through the last couple of weeks is like weak atheism to strong atheism. I think I'm about there. It was harder when it was fresh because like – like, uh, the whole thing, like, well, it still could be possible, but now that I'm really farther and farther removed from it, the whole idea, like, saying, well, do you believe in leprechauns? That makes a lot more sense now, you know? So <laughs> right. I can accept that spaghetti monster stuff that I thought was insane. Right. Now it's, okay, now it makes a lot of sense. I see what you guys are talking about. Right. But I think my next hurdle is the family thing. Like, like what what context? Because what's interesting is, like, my dad that now the, my dad actually stopped believing when I was five,
1: Huh.
3: but he's, 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 he's not strong in his convictions about really anything. He has that you, when you know, you'll never know, you really know kind of attitude. <laughs> so he wasn't like, you know, he's, I, and I, I listened to your stuff in like Gnosticism and he's that. Right. So he, he stopped believing, but he thought, Oh, I guess there's some good that can come from them being raised here. And, but then he was set up by my mom as someone who fell away and was wrong.
0: And are they still together?
3: Uh, they're they're just separated, not divorced.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
3: But funnily enough, I me and my, I've been talking to my dad about a lot of this stuff, and he's actually not disagree with me on really anything. And our relationship's actually really good. Whereas my mom, I'm <laughs> I'm finding less and less reasons to like her, you know, and. Uh, Right. And that, yeah, then that's something that is so foreign to me. Sure. I like even a week ago, I wouldn't even consider it, but it's growing this, this, this difference in me. Right. Like she's my, she, she, I was I considered her like my best friend for 25 years. Right. So up until recently that, and so, but what, why that, that's the question. What, what is what is, what, what is so great about our relationship? Ever since I changed in perspectives to be an anarchist and now atheist, we can't even hold a conversation about anything except a couple smiles into how you doing.
0: Oh, listen, I, I I really do understand that and I really do sympathize. When you, have, when you have a fundamental break in values, it's like if you get your tooth pulled out, you can't help. Your tongue just goes back there all the time. You know, like you, you just you can't stop, in a sense, picking at it because it is such a massive Divergence of values from from where you were before, right?
3: Exactly, and I I can't just ignore that because you know now that I'm I'm very you know I'm very sure about the you know the things that I am sure about, and they're very important. The opposite side of it, and it, there's like, and you can't have a lot of respect for, and that and that's where like I can almost be I can be a strong atheist almost on the um. On the um, thought that I was having, that it cannot be right to raise your kids and tell them lies. And so, if that's right in in all of these types of beliefs, then it can't be. That can't be, you know. And so, I'm totally know that that is wrong. And that difference is just such a different perspective. That is just, it, it is, it is, it's almost irreconcilable.
0: Right. Now, I mean, I don't know anything about your mom, and it doesn't matter in a sense, but yeah, is, is there a possibility that she didn't know that they were lies, right? Because if she she didn't know, if she'd never been exposed to any philosophy or rational thinking or biological thinking or empirical evidence or, or that whole approach, if she'd never ha- had any of that sort of stuff in her life, although, no, of, sorry, of course she did, because your dad, right, stopped believing many well, years and
3: ago. They're, and they are both converts,
0: uh, from what?
3: Um, from basically, you know, uh, just various, you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like some, some Christian, some other denominations. Yeah.
3: Like, uh, like, you know, she was like, a, um, my dad actually used to be like real Christian and, you know, like the evangelical type. And then he's like like, <laughs> yeah, I think he more converted because of my mom, right. my mom, you know, she had a, she had a kid and. And she believed in God, but didn't know, you know, what to believe. And she uh, talked with missionaries, and that whole thing. And uh, and so she's a convert. So she under, you know, she's not like a she. So she really, she got the missionaries and got converted. And so that was her. It wasn't even a thing you're born into. It was really a a voluntary thing. So I mean, you really have to be convinced. If I guess, if you're a To voluntary you know you're going into it you know saying yeah this makes a lot of sense i want to hear more right it's not that i think that she's you know manipulating no she really believes it right so i'm not coming from the position that she's doing that but that's my perspective and just because you know someone doesn't know that they're doing something it still doesn't mean you can respect it anymore you know
0: yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, this is this is one thing I fucking hate about religion. I'll be completely brutally frank with you, which is just my it's just my opinion. What I fucking hate about religion is that, you know, if if you're born white into some, and you understand, I'm not equating your parents to this exactly. It's just a metaphor, right? But if you're born white into a a Ku Klux Klan family, there's no chance that you're ever going to wake up and be black one day, right? And then they're going to be like, well, shit, you know, we don't like the blacks, and now our son just turned black. And they're not going to be faced with that, right? But but religion, particularly, you know, the more fundy type of, of Christianity, I mean, they got a big problem with atheists, right? I don't know if you saw the video that I did on people's prejudice against atheists. But, like, being an atheist is like being an Islamic, black, gay... <laughs> guy with a ticking time bomb trapped to his chest in an airport line. I mean, people just really have a problem with atheists. Now, with religion, it's like the KKK, but the kid can wake up and be black or, uh, I don't know, an illegal immigrant Mexican guy. It's like, I put him I put him to bed. He was snowy white. He woke up. He was coal black, you know? And, and then they've got that big problem, right? It's like, well, we're kind of racist. And now we have a black kid, and with the religion, particularly the fundamentalist religion, well, we don't like atheists, and now we have an atheist kid, and it's like, damn, you know, I hate that. I hate that. That, that a crazy idea like God can come between a family, you know. And I hate that. Ugh, I just I hate that parents would choose, would cho- even think about choosing a fantasy called God over their own children. I mean, that to me is just crazy, but people do that all the time. Uh, it's not just with God, right? I mean, it's it's with this the woman in Michael Moore's film, Fahrenheit 911, whose kid says, I really don't want to go to Iraq. He goes to Iraq and he gets killed. But before he goes to Iraq, his, his mother tells him, well, you've made this commitment. You know, we love our country. We come from a long line of military people. She puts the fucking fantasy of church and state and president and army above the life of her own child. It's just astounding to me. And this is what I hate about these foggy, stupid, bullshit concepts. They stand between people. They rip families apart because... You start thinking and suddenly you run up against all these prejudices and you sit there on your hands and knees in front of your family and you say, please, dear God, for the love of all that's holy, I'm an atheist, I'm going to use these phrases anyway, please, dear God, for the love of all that's holy, do not choose the dead ghosts of Desert Bedouin from 200 or 2,000 years ago above me, above your flesh and blood, right? And I just hate the fact that so many people choose these bullshit abstractions of states and gods and patriotisms and countries above their own flesh and blood family should be the tightest thing in the world it should be the most loyal thing in the world it should be the place where everybody holds each other as sacred above all lies, above all propaganda, above all errors above all superstitions but it so rarely is the case that that actually happens so I just wanted to really sympathize with you about uh, the the, the differences and the challenges that you're facing here
3: yeah, it's uh, it's like, I'm standing right here.
1: Yeah, you know? flesh and blood. I, I, I,
3: <laughs> I'm right in front of you. I'm a person. I got feelings. You can feel me. We've had great ex- real experiences with each other, you know, and then some bad ones. And we're supposed to, you know, but it really, when you think about it, it's like, it's, it's, it's ironic. You know, the newborn baby comes into the world, you know, has no belief. They love it with everything. But because of this, this book says that, this child needs to be this way to be accepted. That's
0: just oh yeah, it's horrible. Like, now listen, I, I wanted to, to touch on a few things that you talked about earlier, if you don't mind, with this this oh, no. this guy, your spiritual leader, guidey guy, right? So yeah, no, so I, first of all, he says you used to believe this, right? And yes. my, look, my answer and understand it's not because <laughs> I think you're probably smarter than me. It's not because I'm any smarter. It's just because I wasn't in the situation having questioned my. Uh, superstition two weeks previously. But so somebody says to me, well, Steph, you used to believe in in Jesus and that Jesus died for your sins and so on. And that's the real you. And I would say in reply, it's like, well, I used to believe in Santa Claus when I was a little younger than that. And then I stopped believing in Santa Claus because I grew up mentally, right? I, I became mature. I became a man mentally. And I stopped believing in things that make no sense. That to me is growing up. So there's no true Steph down in the base of my spine that used to believe in Santa Claus that's still there, that's still the real me. Now, I've outgrown those illusions. I've outgrown the lies that people told me. So I don't believe in Santa Claus and, oh, you know, the Easter Bunny and unicorns and fairies and dragons and orcs and goblins and fairies and banshees and dryads and naiads and all of the fantasy creatures, uh, the griffins and the <laughs> dragons. And I just, th- th- there's no real me that used to believe in all this nonsense that's still in there. I've just outgrown it. Like there's no there's no 10-year-old Steph in my body somewhere who never went through puberty. I've just outgrown <laughs> being a child. And so I would say, if you think that I believed something and therefore I'm now bound to believe it for the rest of my life or become somehow false to myself, then I would say to that person, do you still believe in Santa Claus? And they would say, well, of course not. It's like, well, now you understand where I'm coming from. Just because you used to believe in something that you were told that was false and you outgrew it and you thought for yourself doesn't mean that you're somehow false. It means you're actually true to yourself by having reason and evidence as your standard of value. So that's one one thing that I would say. The other thing is that, you know, as you've mentioned, and we don't have to get into any details unless you're really dying to. You know, your life is not going well at the moment. And, I mean, I get a lot of communication about this. So I would give you a very, well, somewhat short speech, and I hope that that will, will help you. Look, the way that I view the world in this particular, it's just my view, maybe right, maybe wrong, but this is my view. The way that I view the world is that when we are born, we are born rational and empirical and good and kind and sensitive and blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, though, we are fed uh, a particular drug. It's dripped into it's fed and put into our stirred into our baby food, it's put into our formula, uh, and the drug is illusion, superstition, patriotism, illusion, fundamentally, lies. They may not be thought of as lies by the people who are telling them to us, but that's what they are, in fact. And we become addicted to these lies, and these lies infest us and inhabit us. And like bad money drives out good, lie, lies dry out, drive out integrity and virtue and honesty and self-knowledge and empathy and all those good things that we're trying to dredge up like the Titanic and recover in, in this philosophical conversation. And at some point, we're all staggering around uh, drug addicted to these falsehoods, which have carved out and replaced some basic elements of our true selves. And at some point in our life, and I believe this is true of just about everybody, at some point in our lives, we get this suspicion that all is not well with the world that we live in as a whole and with the, world, the social world that we live in of people more immediately around us. And we say, you know, it could be that everyone is a drug addict And they don't know it. Because everyone's a drug addict, so there's no compared to what, right? But deep down, everybody knows this is true. That most people, the vast majority, are fed on lies that have taken over their minds, like a possession of a demon. And if you were an actual drug addict, and everyone around you was an actual drug addict, and you were the first one to give up drugs... How would it appear to everyone else? What would you look like? That's a real question for you.
3: Oh, you would look at me like, well, why don't you? We've been living off of this for so long. Why do you say we don't need this anymore? Like, what are you, crazy?
0: They would perhaps say that. But what I mean is, if everyone around you, you was addicted to heroin and you were the first one to give up heroin, I mean, your physical reactions would be horrible, right? You'd go through detox, right? You'd be throwing up, you'd be oh, over, saying, you'd be yeah. staggering around, and everybody would say, what? Well. Would they say, you're healthy and we're sick?
3: Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. You do, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, my brain's just a little fried today.
0: <laughs> no, no, listen, it's it's a tough question because I'm asking yourself to put yourself in the mindset of people who don't seem to have a lot of empathy, right? So, yeah. so if you're the first one to kick the heroin habit of illusion.
3: Yeah, I see what you're saying. They would think that there's something wrong with me because of the effects that it's having on me initially. Because right, art. they'd say, you know,
0: hey, yeah. we're doing great here. You're the one who's doubled over and throwing up and shaking and unable to sleep and unable to work, and you're the one who's looks like he's falling apart right in front of her eyes. So we need to fix you because you're sick, right? And,
3: yeah, and I've been you- thinking about that exact thing. You know, I I call it bliss though. It's the bliss, you know. <laughs> and I've I've had conversations with myself about it. Like, you know, I, I realize this bliss is all great, and it seems like it's all great, but. And and but I and I realize it's hard once you step out of that, but eventually it's going to be a lot you know a lot better, and I'll be better for it.
0: Yeah, I mean it is. Um, everybody that I know of, and I can tell you this is certainly true for myself. Everybody I know of who genuinely gets into philosophy and tries to live rational values, looks really like looks really unwell and feels unwell for quite some time. And, and people will sort of say, uh, look, you got into this philosophy, and now look what's happening to your life. You've dropped out of school, you broke up with your girlfriend, you don't see your friends anymore, you spend all your time on the internet, you do this, you're listening to all this stuff over and over. What happened to you? You're not well, right? What's wrong with you? You were fine, and I'm still fine, and now you're sick, and I'm still well. Everybody who gets into philosophy takes an immediate nosedive into a very grim place and it's it's you know like anybody who quits drugs we un- we understand that quitting drugs oh man sound like i'm yelling at you we understand but we, we understand that that quitting <laughs> drugs way. makes you sick right
2: yes
0: and we understand that quitting alcohol if you're if you're an alcoholic and you quit you're going to get the delirium tremens your hands are going to shake so much you can't even put a key in a key in in a, in a lock you're going to get sick We understand that if somebody goes on a diet, they're going to be shaky, they're going to be uh, nauseous, they're going to be, right? We understand a a smoker who quits smoking is going to be irritable and snappy. We understand that everybody who gives up an unhealthy addiction gets sick and that those who don't give up that unhealthy addiction look a lot better in the moment because you got one guy shaking and puking his guts out and you got another guy Puffing on a cigarette, drinking his drink, and snorting his cocaine, saying, "I feel great." You just I really
3: appreciate that perspective. I mean, that is because that's exactly what what I've been through. In the fact that, like, it's like set up that way too. It's like, you know, we'll get you hooked on this, and then when one goes away, we just have to point and say, "Look at his life. Why do you want to be like that?" And that's exactly what's been told to me every time, I, I, probably every single time, by someone who's st- still a member. Who says. Well, where, where's the fruits of these decisions? Look at your life. Right. And look, at, look at everybody else's. And I don't, I can't, I can't, you know, really, I don't know what to say, bad. I, I would love to use that, you know, and be able to, because I haven't prepared myself to be able to respond. I don't really, you know, and to me, a, a decent conversation is not using someone's vulnerable points to really make them feel like shit, you know, so <laughs> it's like, I'm not prepared to really battle that with people, you know, I love, quote unquote, you know what I mean? So.
0: But why should you battle? That.
3: Yeah, and and so it's just in and, and I just because all I have ever approached is just I just I, I I love you and I just like to talk to you about things I'm going through in my life and my perspective on things and it's just like it's automatic battle and 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 then once they use the it's like a it's like a, it's like um, putting a pin in me and I deflate. Well, look sure. at your life. Where 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 where's this gotten you? <laughs>
0: right. You know. Right. Right, and, and so if, I, sorry, sorry, yeah, and I just wanted to ahead. point out that that if if you were involved with a whole bunch of alcoholics, and I'm just using this as a metaphor, right? If you were involved in a whole bunch of alcoholics, and you said, "Listen, I've, I, I've," and if those alcoholics had given you alcohol while you were growing up, and got you addicted to alcohol while you were growing up, and I'm sorry for such a brutal metaphor, but that's how I view the indoctrination of children in superstitious nonsense like religion. It is the injection of something that I believe is damaging to the brain and eventually to the body. And so if your parents had fed you alcohol or your priest had fed you alcohol and got you addicted, right? You would understand that bringing up that you were quitting alcohol while they were still drinking alcohol would be threatening to them, right? Yeah. Would, and I just, uh, I just want you to be aware yeah. of that because I don't want you to keep reaching into this blender and getting your hand mushed up, right?
3: Oh, oh for sure. And I, I, I've, I've subtly been learning that. And like I remember even in the conversation I had with the guy, I was thinking at, at a point in the midst of a lot of other emotions, I was thinking, you know, he has to do this right now. He can't – he really, in his perspective, can't just say, oh, yeah, that's reasonable or I really hope you do well with that. You know, and it was more good luck with that, you know, good luck with your life. And, right. you know, like I, I, you know, there's no possible way, I guess, if he assumes what he believes is the absolute truth, that he can really feel good about me and learning things and, and questioning things and any any good feelings about that. And once your belief sets up that dynamic between people you supposedly love, it's just that's why it's so wrong. <laughs> right.
0: Right. And look, I mean, if I had a dime for every time I heard this family structure where the mother was more religious than the father, um, I'd have, you know, quite a cathedral of dimes. And, and the reason for that, I believe, is, uh, is pretty basic, that um, uh, the, the, the priests uh, fasten their fangs onto the necks of women more than men, right? Because, because the women raise the children. And so the women are the carriers for the virus of religiosity. And so if you want to infect the children, you have to infect the mother, and you have to keep that poison through the veins of the mother. Because otherwise, she won't infect the children. And the children then won't be inf- infected, and they won't be profitable, tithe slaves for the rest of their life, right? So the fact that, that you're, you're, the church could let your dad go, but not your mom, is to me entirely understandable.
3: Yeah, the I, I, I can't remember there ever being much of a struggle for uh him, but yeah, for the for the women, you know, the women will come over with their baked goods and, you know, <laughs> tell you all the, everything they can. It's like uh, we lost one, we gotta go get her back and keep it all going and keep all this thing going and
0: Right, right. It's really because, just of course, uh, because if up. your mom if your mom gives up, right, the whole virus is very shaky. The whole virus of religion is incredibly shaky. If your mom breaks free, if she quits the addiction Right, and you then then she's gonna support you quitting the addiction you guys get a lot healthier well you're friends with their kids right
3: yeah and that just and, and yeah I realized the uh why why it can't happen because that whole investment and the whole social structure and yeah it's it breaks it all up it <laughs> have to keep it together because they're surviving on it
0: so listen I mean it sounds it sounds like I mean obviously I violently disagree with your mom about religiosity and I'm sure that's no surprise to you but it does sound to me like there are some good things in your relationship with your mom that's not uh, not fundamentally focused on religion, right? You know, it's, or is there? I mean, I could be wrong. I'm just because you well, said she was your best friend. You know, I, I,
3: I, I'm just. Well, I said. Well, I and and what I what I should have finished with that sentence is is that she was my best friend once when we were both Republicans and when we were both Mormons. Uh-huh. It's like now, I mean, you know, I it's I can't think of a, a a productive conversation that I've had with her that she didn't eventually get offended by something because it might have in favor of, you know, evolution or, or, you know, just something that might have even questioned one of her assumptions in her faith.
0: And, and of course, and I was, I was going to earlier, I just made a note to myself, you know, maybe suggest that you have conversations with your mom about movies or stuff. But the, but the problem is that this is, this is what is consuming you mentally at the moment, right? I mean, and the and, philosophy and thoughts and values and reason. I mean, you're just, you're reconfiguring your whole brain. You're, you're turning on entire generators that will never turn back on. I mean, the sun has risen over a nighted landscape and it's never going back down. And so this is really consuming you mentally. So it's not like you can have a conversation about, you know, spring and flowers and woodchucks with your mom, because this is the stuff that's always on your mind. And if you can't share it, it's does, it, does that feel kind of false like you'd be repressing something that's important for you to talk about
3: right now yeah I, can, I I mean I've talked with um some people and they say yeah I just you know I say hi once in a while but I don't really think about her in my everyday life and it's not like a huge thing and I' I mean I know I'll eventually get there. Uh, I wasn't very confident a month ago but my I've been rapidly thinking things that I didn't even think I'd be thinking so I mean even after I deconverted so I, I'm very confident that as long as I keep analyzing each thing and thinking about it, rationally and and with good reason, and then I think I'll get there, you know, and I'll be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I just I would be very, very careful about in fact, if I were you, and this is I I never tell anybody what to do, because it would be a ridiculous thing to, to to say. But but if I were in your shoes, my friend, I would be um I would be very wary, in fact, to the point where I just would not bring up what I was thinking about with people unless they really show genuine curiosity and empathy towards me. Because um, I think that it's it, it, if you're just if you're trying to get over a toxin, you need to not be exposed to that toxin, right? And the toxin, I mean, if you have relationships with your family or others that that are outside the the bounds of this, then you know, by all means, if I were you, I'd I would sort of go and enjoy those things, you know, have a barbecue and, and talk about the weather or whatever whatever is comfortable. But uh, if, if the reimposition of superstition, of religiosity, of error, of falsehood, of lies of this exploitive nonsense, if that is a toxin that you're trying to rid yourself off, I would not go and drink more as, as long as I could manage it because that's just going to make it so much harder.
3: And from my experience, you are absolutely right. And I've failed at many times trying to, you know, prove the opposite of that. But I always come away thinking I have to apologize because I've made them feel so bad.
0: Right, right.
3: And right. that is that is a horrible feeling. You know, I that's not the point. Right. I mean, we have. You know, and it's so interesting. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you, but it's so interesting. And this is something that really bothers me: is that they, I don't feel that they ever feel any bad feelings about maybe you you insulted me a little bit or made me feel a little bad. I don't hear any sorries. You know, the sorry ratio is probably a thousand to one. You know, (laughs) and that that is something I really, I ignore that a lot. But you know, that's telling.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's not a very good sign in my opinion. Yeah.
3: It's uh what's holding it together? What's holding the bond, you know, together? It's not a lot. I guess I, I if I had to make my guess and I, if she was honest, it's probably the fact that I could possibly change in the future to something that she might agree with and be proud of. I probably Right. So I she's going
0: to like hold out until this quote phase is over, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, right. and, you know, good luck, but I, I, as long as it keeps you cordial, I guess, you know, if she wants to hold on to that fantasy too, that's okay, you know, <laughs> whatever.
0: Right, and look, uh, um, uh, parents, from what I've seen and experienced, uh, my my thoughts, right, uh, when when parents are faced with a change in values on the part of a child, right, they can take one of two, two parts, right, they can either – Attempt to accommodate and to reason with and to incorporate the change in values into the family structure, which personally is very challenging and will question will cause them to question their own particular beliefs and cause them to examine their own history, their own parenting, their own their the parents they had, and all of this sort of stuff. Right? That's if you attempt to incorporate a value that is fundamentally changed in uh, uh, in a relationship, uh, it is very challenging for the parent. In a sense, the parent then becomes. The child, it's a re- it's a role reversal that is is challenging because you are able to instruct them on things that that uh, your mom in particular right that she may not want to be instructed on. So you can either take that one challenging path, and you can just say, okay, well he's he's changed, and uh, if I continue to reject what he believes in, then um, it's going to cause huge problems to our relationship, right? So so I need to try and figure out what is going on and what is attractive about what he's thinking, and respect that he's got a difference of opinion from me, and try and work to to build bridges to incorporate these beliefs, to to negotiate, right? Uh, Unfortunately, uh, religious parents are really bad at negotiating, which is one of the reasons why I dislike religion so much, because it is an authoritarian, fundamentally aggressive way of imprinting falsehoods on the tender and innocent minds of children. You might as well tattoo their foreheads with great pain, right? So that's the one path. Now the other path that all too many parents change when their child, all too many parents choose when their child comes to them with a fundamental change in in values or a growth in values or growth in any kind, is I'm just going to apply pressure and hang on, hoping that he's going to pop back into his old shape. That way, I don't have to confront my own beliefs. I don't have to negotiate. I don't have to admit that I told him things as if they were true when he was a kid, like Jesus died for your sins, that I can't rationally defend for five minutes, right? So they're just kind of like, I'm just going to set myself against this change. I'm going to maybe mock, maybe undermine, maybe criticize, maybe ignore, maybe withdraw, maybe get aggressive. I'm just going to apply pressure to my child, hoping that he pops right back into the old conformity shape, right? I'm just going to hope he pops right back, that it's just a phase that uh, if if he realizes how little... I approve and how much I disapprove he's just going to pop right back into his old shape and everything's going to continue and he's going to apologize for putting me through these difficulties and everything's going to go back to the way that it was.
3: Yeah the 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 standard uh line is yeah I guess you're just going to go out, have to go out in the world and when you fail you'll come back and you'll know why you failed. And so uh, and so like a little bit of pride and cowardice creeps in my senses and like oh no now i'm afraid to fail because everybody's gonna think oh see he went away from the faith and he failed so there you go it's like oh this is so stupid right <laughs> right and it's stupid battle
0: yeah, and it's like it's like a self-fulfilling curse and then you also feel like well for atheists everywhere i can't fail because there is right for sure yeah for sure.
3: or <laughs> Or if he succeeds, it's in vain, you know, and he enjoys the pleasure, you know, he enjoys, you know, worldly things. And that's, a, that's a funny one. Just, You know, my big brother, you know, he was like, oh, I see, you're into the worldly things. I'm like, that's where we live.
0: Into the <laughs> worldly things, right. Right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and so right. it's just, a, it's that perspective. It's like, with you you can't, the word rational is almost like a banned word. Like, if you say, let's think about things rationally, people are looking at you like, whoa, what influence you under, you know? <laughs> Right. So when I guess if you're just coming from that, I mean, you just got to not talk about those things. And I think I'll become more comfortable with that. But big change, you know.
0: It is a big change. And listen, I, I, I really sympathize. I really empathize. And I sure as hell wish that you didn't have quite as high and a rocky hill to climb in this area. I, I really do. But, oh, man, it is it is an incredible thing that you're doing. That's it is an something incredible that
3: thing I really am sad about is not only me, but, you know, all, you know, when I think about the situation in general is imagine if I was just taught basic reasoning skills and taught different things and I could have gone through all of this stuff when I was a teenager and had fun with it. I mean, I could just – you could be all past this and you can really delve into your creative side and really be happy and all that. It just could be so much better for – you know upbringing and all that it's just so sad the reality of it Ugh.
0: it is it is but hey you know better 25 than 35 or 45 yeah, 55 know. or never right
3: yeah i consider myself especially in the real like having a real belief in the i've considered myself lucky in my situation that i can at least have this conversation with myself and talk with people like you and you know so i have a i have a good foundation against the field, you know, so of uh, uh, other people that usually just let it slope by. So I'm, I feel lucky for that. So I appreciate yeah. your life's work and it's made a big difference in my life. And so I really appreciate that too.
0: I, I appreciate that. And, and thanks so much for the call. Do, do try and keep us posted if you can and, uh, talk to people, um, who, who are, You know, in the same way of thinking, right, which is to me the only way of really thinking. But you don't want to be the scientist in the land of mystics, right? You want to make sure that you're in contact with other scientists. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot harder than it needs to be, although it's not going to be easy. And I I really do sympathize with that. But, you know, this is the only way that I know that the world can be improved is, is bit by bit, person by person, relationship by relationship. And, uh, I wish there was an easier way. I wish that we could all hurl money at Ron Paul and wake up free. But, uh, I just think that we, this is a battle of, of blood and inches. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I wish there was an easier way and I'm, I'm always open and I'm always thinking, oh man, is there an easier way? But I just, yeah. I don't know that there is one. And, um, yeah. I just wanted to to just express my admiration. And I also do get the sense that, that you have some compassion that's good for what's going on uh, with those around you. I think that's a useful thing to have, but I would, uh, um, I would not open my heart up with people until they start showing some real, genuine curiosity and empathy, uh, because I think it's just gonna make it that much harder.
3: And I agree. And I, I posted I, like a first half of a big thought process I did in the re. I reintroduced myself into, in in the introduce myself part of the morning because when I first did it, I'm like, I'm a Mormon. Here's why I'll defend it. And so I'm re. I reintroduced myself. So.
0: Oh yeah, I, I saw that post today. I, this is you. Oh, okay, okay, good. I'll yeah, I'll and, post that in the chat room if you don't mind. So. Yeah, people-
3: maybe I'll call you up about the childhood stuff I talked about sometime, and we can go into that more because I think that really messes with me too, but that, that's Any, anything that I
0: can do to help, you know, just, just let me know. It could be a totally private one if you like, but anything I can do to help. I mean, I just, I really do sympathize with what you're doing and, and I'd really do admire for your, your commitment to, to reason. It's a, it's a beautiful thing.
3: All right, great. Yeah, I'd probably do it now, but I'm fried brain wise. I got to refresh, you know, so right. okay, <laughs> I'll definitely well, call you up again. And um, again, thank you very much and best, best of health to your wife and kid and all that good stuff.
0: <laughs> thanks so much. All the best, my friend. Bye. Okay. You- uh somebody said can i talk about the possibilities of an iphone app um a fellow did uh offer to buy an iphone license uh although he didn't have a developer and i didn't know how to develop i don't know how to develop for the iphone so uh i am very happy to do that lulu is allowing books to be released to um to an iphone and um i uh would be interested in that but i think you can only sell those you can't give those away um because you have to give your pound of flesh to lulu which is perfectly fair so if anybody has, uh, you know, if anybody wants to to develop an iPhone app, it's not something I'll be able to do, but I'm certainly happy to lend whatever thoughts and expertise. Uh, Somebody has asked, can you recommend any books on dream interpretations? Why, yes, I can. Freud's On the Interpretation of Dreams is a great place to start. Uh, I would pick up the collected works of C.G. Jung, one of the smaller volumes, because the man made me look concise. Um, and uh he's got a lot of great stuff on dream interpretation but i found that um you know start start with the the master Uh, i think that the um the the, on the interpretation of dreams by freud is fantastic Uh, of course it doesn't matter whether you agree with his interpretations or mine or anybody's the important thing is that i think you take dreams seriously and try to figure out what it is that they're they're trying to say i just i mean i just had this amazing dream the other night that i must have spent an hour going over trying to figure out what it was all about and uh i just it's really is an amazing and eye-opening thing to see so uh, i just whatever it is that you read that makes you take dreams seriously uh, i would recommend but i would start true somebody's asked how scientific are they um i would not say that they're scientific uh i would say that it is more like an art for sure um it is not scientific there is Uh, some science that has come to light that is fully supporting the value of uh, looking at dreams as uh, some very very important um, uh, very important aspects of mental activity that they are ways of rehearsing and analyzing and processing and creating faster responses to things in your life that uh, may be muddy or unclear Um, I think NOVA had a series you may be able to find uh, I think it was posted on the message board if anyone can dig it up and post it in the chat room there is somebody posted a i think it was a two-part series on the science of, of dreams um and it really does support what it is that we've been uh, talking about here for these many years so and it goes all the way back to supporting what freud was uh, was talking about so um i would strongly recommend that oh somebody has posted it on the message board at least i think that's the one that was posted let me just double check and um yeah pbs nova pbs.org forward slash wgbh forward slash nova forward slash dreams. And um, I, would, uh, I would check that out for sure. I've actually, thanks for, I would be meaning to interview this guy. So I might uh, might try and give him a shout. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I don't think that the, the actual act of interpreting dreams is 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 a um, scientific purpose and pursuit at all. But I think the value of dreams is being scientifically recognized and uh, it is definitely more of an art. Um, somebody's asked, what does it mean when you have dreams of beating up your parents? Um, well, <laughs> I would go out on a limb and say that you might have some anger at your parents. Uh, or you may, you may be um, uh, have a sort of wounded pride if you had experienced uh, aggression from your parents. Then it might be coming out uh, uh, in dreams. So that would be my the first place that I would start. Uh, what if you don't remember any dreams for years? Um, well, there are ways of remembering your dreams, which is that you can set your alarm clock. Uh, figure out when you're in your deep REM cycle or when you're in your dream phase and you can look up on the web on how to achieve that and you can uh, program your clock or something to wake you up and then you can just write down whatever you were dreaming about. People are talking about uh, Dickens. I uh, I really like, uh, my favorite is um, Great Expectations. What does it mean when you have dreams of being inside a prison? Again, the, I don't know, but the first place that I would look is uh, the degree to which you feel constrained in your life. Uh, a prison is often a metaphor for a lack of a lack of capacity for honesty, uh, or a prison in a sense is even more of a metaphor of where you get put when you are honest. So if you feel that um, you can't be honest with those around you without being punished or attacked or rejected, then it may feel like a prison, and that's why you might be dreaming about that. But that would be again why I would uh, why I would look at that. Somebody has asked why I interviewed Dean Baker, a statist. Um, Well, he's not the first statist that I have interviewed, and if I were to only interview um, anarchists, uh, I would uh, not have very many people to talk to at all. Uh, I interviewed Dean Baker because I thought he had a fantastic idea uh, and some very great proof for it. And uh, I certainly did reject his idea in in, in the show. Uh, I specifically rejected his idea that we should get yet another government program to deal with uh, intellectual property. But um, I interviewed him... It's a statist in the same way that I go to my dentist who is a statist in that there's a specific skill set that I think is very important and useful. And uh, we don't have to agree on everything to have a useful conversation about about some things. And of course, I mean, I spent the first couple of years of Free Domain Radio largely interviewing mostly people who were on the same side of the fence. Some people who were a bit dissimilar in ethics, but um, I was on shows with people like uh, Mark Stevens or Michael Bednarik uh, where there was much more agreement than disagreement. But uh, I think it's okay to speak with people who I disagree with. If, if they ask me about what my opinions are, then I will absolutely tell them what it is that, um, uh, that I believe. But the, really, the, imp- the important thing is to is to try and figure out and, and get out the useful stuff I think that they have to say. So I think that's, um, that's useful. Uh, somebody says, What is your interpretation of lucid dreaming? Why are some dreams so vivid? Um... I don't know, and uh, I, I don't know what I have no idea what the science is behind it, but uh, I know that I when I was going through therapy and through my you know massive personal crisis of individuation, uh, for about a year and a half closer to two years, I had some amazingly lucid and fantastic dreams. And um, it happened because I was in extremity of repatterning my brain. I was in extremity of reprogramming my brain, and I think that just uncorks a whole lot of vividness if that makes any sense. Uh, have I, do I have any tips on finding a good therapist? Uh, I, yeah, somebody has just posted this. You want to go to alicemiller.com. There's an FAQ where she has on how to find a good therapist that I think is very good. Um, I think that um, you just need to trust your instincts and you need to make sure that you speak with someone that you're enthusiastic to go and see. That you, um, uh, you feel that you can be honest and open about what is happening in your mind and in your heart without being negatively judged or critiqued but the person is going to be side by side from with you hacking your way through the jungle towards authenticity or individuation the true self whatever you want to call it so i would um i would definitely work with that um and it's okay if your therapist disagrees with you about stuff that is not material to therapy right so if your therapist is a statist who cares because you know, you don't have to be a, a an anarchist to be a good dentist, and you don't necessarily have to be a um, uh, an anarchist to be a good therapist. Uh, I I think it's generally better to have correct opinions in in all areas of life as possible. But um, uh, I would uh, I would definitely um, work with your instincts and just see if you feel comfortable talking to that person on the phone. If you feel enthusiastic, if you feel that when you're talking with that with that, with him or her that uh, he or she can. Uh, process and empathize with and uh, help you with what you, are, um, uh, with what you are working with. I think this, you know, really trust your instincts. If you feel like the person is not a good therapist, then say to that person, I don't feel that, that it's, the therapy is working for me and, uh, and see how you feel with the response. All right, we have time for another question. If we have another question. Somebody's asked, Have I ever thought of making a movie like The Zeitgeist, where you destroy the state, fiat system, religion, and put forward a libertarian society as a solution? I absolutely have thought of that. Um, I have um, uh, made some significant notes for How to Achieve Freedom as a documentary. But um, uh, it's not something I would be able to do for the next year at least. Um, I think it's possible, um, you know, when my daughter gets older, she, she may go into preschool. And um, then I may have some more time to work, but right now my my work is like either late at night or in concentrated bursts. If and when she naps during the day, so I think that's uh, that's an important thing. Yeah, you know, I, but I would I would caution you, um, <laughs> as I want to do. Listen, I've I've gone through so many times. I've gone through. I'm going to do what is successful to someone else. And then it's going to be successful for me. And either I'm hugely incompetent, which I don't think is the case, but it's, it's a possibility. Uh, but maybe I'm hugely incompetent. But, uh, you know, the one thing that I really got out of the Zeitgeist folks is that, I mean, they're a bunch of really... not. I, mean, I don't know about all of them, obviously, right? But... um Uh, the Zeitgeist Addendum Review, which was actually quite complimentary towards the movie. I I talked about some of the stuff that I thought was was good in it, Um, but I definitely critiqued. I mean, it it is frustrating to me that somebody would write a lot about economics or, I guess, make a movie focusing on economics um, without having even read something as basic as Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson, which goes through all of the fallacies that are constantly repeated in all this sort of propaganda. And I have to call it propaganda, because if you're mouthing off opinions, I think as somebody had a quote from Murray Rothbard, which says, it's no crime to be ignorant of economics, of course, it's a disciplined and specialized field. It is, however, a crime to pretend to have knowledge which you do not have. And I think that's uh, that's quite true. And it does frustrate me that uh, somebody would talk a lot about the free market without having talked to a single free market economist, clearly, without having read any of the basic introductory layperson view uh, of um, uh, of economics and would make all of the same fundamental mistakes that, um, uh, you know, every other person who is running an agenda makes. And I found that to be bad, really bad. Uh, and uh, that, I think, is is important because it shows a, a lack of humility and curiosity about a field that you claim to be knowledgeable about. And when you get the basics wrong, I mean, fundamentally completely wrong uh, about economics, then uh, while cr- putting out a movie about how to save the world through economics, I think that's highly irresponsible and and quite destructive. So I did point out some things that I thought the examination of the fiat system was good. Uh, I'm, you know, the stuff that they talked about with Jesus, there's a skeptic magazine article that seems to debunk it quite a lot. But, you know, as an atheist, to me, it's like, arguing whether orcs or elves can do better high jumps. Like, I just don't really care about it. I mean, when you don't believe in any of it, you know, whether Jesus was this myth or that myth or whether, you know, this means this. or I mean, you just, who cares, right? When you don't believe any of it, then there's no point examining um, it, right? It just doesn't make any sense. It's it's kind of a, a silly thing to do. So when I put out the Zeitgeist Addendum Review, I mean, there was a lot that was positive. There was a lot that I felt I couldn't comment on. And there was some stuff that I was pretty frustrated that it was just, so egregiously wrong that uh, I thought it was really irresponsible and lazy. And uh, I thought my critique was, you know, I went, you know, I didn't call anybody any, any swear words or anything, but holy crap. I mean, the the responses that came back from the the Zeitgeist fanboys, I mean, it's the only video where I've ever shut down the comments because it just got, I got really um, disgusted by the amount of you know, vicious profanity-laced vitriol that came pouring down of that on that review. Uh, I mean, it was just a concerted, um, abuse, uh, verbally abusive series of attacks. And I can guarantee you that although you know Zeitgeist has done well, I guess in terms of lots of downloads and so on, it's done well because it attracts, not exclusively, of course, but it seems to attract a lot of these kinds of really angry. And uh, people who just, when questioned or criticized, uncork torrents of vitriolic verbal abuse on someone rather than responding to an argument or whatever. Right. And so I can guarantee you that those kinds of people who uh, are big fans of, of the Zeitgeist and the Venus Project will be... let's just say not very receptive to something that I would, I would come out with for sure. Uh, And that is, uh, so I think it's important to say, to understand that you don't sort of say, well, Zeitgeist did well, so let's do a film and we'll get the same response. Uh, That's not, uh, uh, that's not, uh, (laughs) I don't think that's rational based upon sort of my my experience and interpretation of, of what is occurring. Uh, do I know about the iPhone incompatibility with the forums? Um, the only thing I know, and sorry about all this technical stuff, um, the only thing, I, I have an iPod touch which I access the forums with sometimes over Wi-Fi, and uh, I have found that it works just fine, except that you have to switch to HTML when you want to respond to a post. So, All right. I'm just uh, ignoring some questions that I've answered a whole bunch of times uh, before. Is there anything else that people wanted to uh, uh, anything else people wanted to mention or bring up before we close down the first show of the new decade? Um, one question I've always had: Let's suppose the majority somebody says of U.S. citizens decide anarchy is better than government. How do you suggest this transition take place? I've been having several conversations. Uh, how do I suggest this transition take place? Well, I mean, I think if uh, the, the accumulation that I've always bet is that we get a free society by treating our children better. We get better. Um, we get a better society by loving our children more. Right? Society is uh, is corrupt and and hierarchical because uh, people are harmed and bullied and abused as children. Not everyone, but enough people that that is the default position within society. Uh, if you want to see the war on kids, you will see the degree to which society is afraid of and wants to dominate and control children. And until we, um, we love our children uh, to the point where we're even willing to give up our own illusions and falsehoods, uh, then we will get a better society. So it's not going to be a decision and it's not going to be an argument. It's going to be a process of treating children better that makes a free society. What is it that's so special about us that makes us receptive to free domain radio? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and this is the very, very first, uh, I remember this uh, as if it were yesterday, the very first call-in show we had, I think sometime in 2006, when I was dealing over a laptop trying to make, um, oh, that, that one, the talk thing for games. I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, we're trying to make all of that work, and we we're having all kinds of problems um, with it. But um, yeah, it was why, why us? And why not uh, uh, other people? And TeamSpeak, yeah, that's right. Oh, the problems we have with TeamSpeak and the absolutely wretched audio quality that it produced. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's something that I have made notes on over the years, and I have uh, a number of thoughts. Um, But uh, I'd like to sort of... um, uh, I, I, I'm going to hold off on that. I think it'd be something I'd like to sort of put a little bit more time to, to get organized in my thoughts and perhaps we can have a, uh, a conference call about it. But that was, um, uh, I I mean, I think there are certain things, criteria that we all fit, but, um, I don't know, uh, if I would uh, want to be able to, I don't know if I would want to really (laughs) come up with something right now. Let me get my thoughts a little bit more organized and I'll, I'll try and, you know, sort that one out. Somebody says, sorry, I was tuned out of the show. Why did you interview Dean Baker, a statist economist? Oh, Mr. Troll. You just keep asking me all these kinds of things. Um, but uh, uh, if, you, if, you did, if you asked a question and didn't listen to the answer, um, I really can't expect it. You can't imagine that you'd expect me to repeat it unless you have the social skills of a soap dish. Anyway. Let's see. If you've got time, too old for kids now, what would you suggest I could do, even in a small way, to nudge Things forward. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would have to think about that some more. Uh, that is a great challenge for sure. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what will have to happen for the government to to fall away. What will have to happen? And I'm not saying I'm there yet. I'm, I'm actually getting there closer. But I, th- I think what will have to happen is that. If if you've ever had someone in your life who has a kind of one size fits all answer for everything you know like no matter what happens it's the CIA right like so i think when michael badnarik unfortunately had a severe it uh, seems like heart attack and uh, last i heard he wasn't doing very well and i hope, certainly hope that he uh, he gets better Uh, I certainly uh, have enjoyed uh, meeting him and and chatting with him. And we have differences of opinion, but uh, the man is certainly a tireless advocate for some of the things that uh, I believe in. But uh, I saw it posted. And of course, immediately the tinfoil hat people were, it's a, it's a heart attack gun that was shot at him by the CIA. Right. And I mean, to to those of us, who don't subscribe to that automatic way of looking at things that if anything bad happens, the CIA has a death ray gun that they can shoot at people from wherever. Um, what happens is, I think uh, somebody who's not that paranoid, frankly, is going to say, is going to roll their eyes and going to say, oh, come on, you know, the guy had a heart attack, you know, and that's a terrible shame. But I don't think we immediately want to leap to the conclusion that the CIA CIA hit him with a heart attack death ray or something like that. And when we are at the place in a society where somebody talks about a government program and we respond to it in the same way that we respond to it's a death ray from the CIA, then I think we're going to be really close when we no longer get angry at government programs, when we no longer get angry at status, when we no longer get angry, but we simply roll our eyes, like, oh, this again. Like, uh, when when we almost, it's too weary and boring to even respond to, then we will really start to see some change. Right, so if, if you have someone, or if you know somebody who has, I don't know, paranoid explanations, like the Jews, the Jews do X, Y, and Z. The Jews control the Zionists. Protocols of the elders of whoever, right? And anything the bad that happens, the the Jews are doing. It. Like at some point, you simply don't want to argue with that person, and I hope that point is sooner rather than later. And you just kind of roll your eyes, and it's like, ugh, this again, right? Like I don't even want to talk about it. It's just right when when we we get to the point as a society where we look at the government that way. We look at status solutions that way. We look at the use of institutionalized violence to solve complex social problems that way. Where it's just like, ugh, you know, when the majority of people are like, oh, it's it's the equivalent of a CIA death ray and a, a Jewish conspiracy to rule the world. Then we will really start to see some progress. And uh, I think when when we get bored of the state, when we get uninterested in the state. When we view people proposing status solutions as strange and obsessed and not even worth debating, then we will have outgrown the state. And I think that we will will have taken a huge step forward towards a free society. That's a long way off, right? That's a long way off. When we view a potential politician like Barack Obama as the equivalent of a mangy street preacher shaking a dusty Bible at a raining sky alone on a corner, then, you know, like, okay, I guess some people are into that, but I'm just going to take, take a wide step around him and keep moving and not make eye contact when we view that person as, you know, kind of crazy and out there and all that, uh, then we'll be a lot closer. But we're really going to have to shift the standards of how children experience authority in order for them to see authority in the world in that way. And I think that's... Um, that's just going to take time. This is a multi-generational project. And to think that it's not is to take several steps backwards and to pursue things that simply won't work. All right. Well, I think we are winding to a close. Here we are. It is 5.58 p.m., and uh, I hope that uh, you had a wonderful, wonderful first Uh, show, uh, first Sunday show. I was uh, looking forward to this all day and um, I hope you had a wonderful Free Domain Radio Sunday show. Thank you again so much for listening, for donating, for supporting, for spreading and uh, for living the values that we are all exploring here. It is uh, an immense privilege to be part of what is going on in the world through this and uh, I hope that, uh, that you have an absolutely wonderful January and year, nay, I hope that you have an absolutely wonderful decade and it's been a real privilege to chat with you and i will talk to you soon